0: Dear listeners, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. This morning, dear listeners, I'm joined in the studio by Jordan Harvey, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and Roger, who leads the local group Black Nonbelievers of D.C. Welcome to you both. Thanks. Thank you. Roger works as an advocate with the American Humanist Association, the Secular Coalition of America, and serves on the board of the Washington Area Secular Humanists. And Jordan, who has served his LDS community as a Sunday school instructor and a leader in the men's organization, is also a co-founder of the Brigham Young University Black Alumni Society and currently serves on its board of directors. Earlier this year, he co-founded the First Sunday Fellowship, a network of church members of African descent in the DMV area who gather periodically to discuss the intersection of race, culture, and faith. Dear listeners, those of you who tuned in to our previous show caught my interview with Teddy Reeves from the National Museum of African American History and Culture and heard me fanboying out about his God Talk program, Exploring Black Millennials and Faith. And I've been so inspired by the depth of this conversation in the Museum's God Talk series. And I want to acknowledge that I am unabashedly lifting the theme and concept uh, from that program for this show. And that's part of the reason why I'm very excited about having my two guests here today. So, Jordan, I want to start with you. If we're talking about black folks in the LDS church... Our dear listeners, of course, may know about the Church's policy of not ordaining uh, black men until 1978, but I don't want to relitigate that history. I want to ground this conversation in, in your personal experience. So I want to just start right there and, and talk to you a little bit about how is it that you became a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints?
1: Yeah. So uh, thanks again for having me on. I became a member of the church. Um, I am the son of an interracial couple. My mother's white and she comes from um, the LDS faith and that that tradition. Uh, And my father is black and he does not come from the LDS faith. And so I was actually raised um, going to two churches Mm. uh, every Sunday, Mm. actually. And um, so kind of getting uh, a very um, very unique experience, I think, of of seeing. And, and my father is a is a Christian, and so I was going to both Christian faiths, obviously. But um, what
0: denomination?
1: Uh, non denominational. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was sort of a non denominational church. Well, that's actually my stepfather, and then my uh-huh. father, my biological father, is Baptist. Oh, okay. Interesting. Wow, I Yeah, so I got I uh, got got the whole spectrum, I, I guess there. And um and so anyway, I think. Sort of seeing all of these different traditions and being raised in them um, was actually a, very, a, a blessing for me, mm. and I really appreciated it. Um, but I think at a certain point in my life, I I had learned enough to know that there are important differences, right? But between the faiths, even though they are all Christian, and and so I think through my own um, prayer, study, and my own faith journey, um, I did I determine that this is where um, God wanted me to be.
0: Mm-hmm. So, tell, tell us a little bit more about that experience. Was there was there a catalyzing moment for you? What was it about about the teachings of the LDS tradition that really spoke to your heart?
1: Well, I think for me, um, one thing that I noticed about the LDS tradition is that it's not necessarily so different from other Christian faiths or mm-hmm. denominations, um, but it's sort of a, a additional too. And okay. there are um, so I think even the reason that many people know us as Mormons um, is because we don't only believe in the Holy Bible, which we do, Old Testament, New Testament, um, but we also believe in another book of scripture called the Book of Mormon. And so it's not that we take away from the Bible. It's not that we don't believe in the Bible, but um, we believe in other sources of revelation, mm-hmm. other, other sources of divine guidance uh, from God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for me, uh, it wasn't that I was rejecting uh, the faith of my stepfather or my father um, but it was that I found additional truth additional mm. light uh, in the faith of my mother um and and that really spoke to me and I, and I felt sort of a divine guidance and direction to um to embrace all of that truth
0: mm-hmm. and was was that a a process over over your youth uh did you ever step away from that and, and sort of rediscover it later in life? or what?
1: Yeah, I, I think for me, actually, so as as many of your listeners probably know, um, we are a missionary church, and so we send out, mission, you know, maybe folks have, have seen or heard of the musical The Book of Mormon, <laughs> which sort of makes light of that. Um, but uh, when I was preparing for my own mission— um, I had a moment of, I guess what some would call a faith crisis, mm. because, you know, to say, oh, I'm going to go out into the world and tell people, this is what I believe, you should believe it too, uh, you have to really believe it, mm. right? And I think I came to a point where I had had what I would term spiritual experiences throughout growing up um, and going to church and, and feeling um, that connection with God, but to to have the the real conviction or testimony, as we might say, that... You know this is true, and, and other people should should follow it as well. Um, I didn't feel that I had had that, and um, and then I, like I said, through sort of a um, a very dedicated course of study, prayer, and communion with God, I I did have um, a very sort of Moses on the mountaintop type experience, right? I, it wasn't um, a burning bush, right? It wasn't it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't that serious, uh, unfortunately. Fortunately, unfortunately, uh-huh. but um, but I did have. I did receive what what to me was a spiritual witness and confirmation mm. that this is what God wanted me to do and where He wanted me to be.
0: And you grew up in Las Vegas, right? You you were out there in the desert, in the belly of the beast. <laughs> uh, no,
1: <laughs> no, yeah, grew up in Las Vegas, um, and uh, yeah, and
0: you did your mission in Chile, in Chile. Oh, okay, in South America. so you're yeah, walking so around in your suit and tie. Down in Chile, it's hot. Yeah,
1: they <laughs> let, they they let us take the jacket off. And, oh, that's good. Yeah, so uh, very blessed, very <laughs> lucky for that. But.
0: R- Roger, you had a had a, um, a similar Christian upbringing, but came to a, a different conclusion. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about about your uh, your faith journey and experience growing up and, and where you've landed. Sure, thanks for for
2: having me. Uh, first of all, so I uh, also came through the church. Um, And I was born into a Moravian church, uh, and that's a Protestant denomination, which uh, in this country is uh, really seated in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania.
0: Yep, that's where Um, my dad lives. We go by there all the time. So you Uh know. So there's plenty
2: of people who don't know anything about it, and I have to try to give them the short version, but I'm glad I don't have to
0: do that. Well, there are millions and millions of listeners out there that, that appreciate it sweet sweet
2: <laughs> I, I was born in the caribbean in st Croix in the virgin islands and uh there are two moravian churches there mm. so um i was brought up in one of them and when we moved to the states um it just so happened that the neighborhood that we lived in had a moravian church as mm. well and so um that's uh sort of the beginning of uh my faith journey or context um and I'm a musician. I'm a professional musician and I've played and toured and but also worked with churches and played in churches mm-hmm. from a very young age. Um uh first just sort of, you know, playing and then more after that professionally from about thirteen or fourteen on. Mm. And um so I've always almost always been in church but also in it on the musical side in service and um that continued throughout uh, my life and in college um, I started to get into playing in other denominations in what we would call or what people call, the black church um, which is kind of not the right way to say it but that's what people think of as the black church and I started to play uh, as a musician in black churches in a number of different denominations um, and uh, many years passed uh, eventually I moved to New York after living in Boston for a while. Um, and I ended up playing at a Baptist church for almost 10 years. And then within that 10 years, about four or five of those years, I started to play for SDA church, a Seventh day Adventist church. Mm. And so, um, I had always had a number of questions, um, based on my, uh, Education slash religious education, uh, my family, uh, uh, even though I came up in the Christian background, my father had a lot of, um, uh, commentary and scholarship that he would sort of introduce about Christianity and different, um, the origins, the historical sort of claims and origins around it. And so, um, he never tried to, uh, deconvert me or anything like that, but he planted some seeds of, uh, skepticism and criticism about doctrine and uh, imagery and so forth and so those seeds were um, were already there and over the years I began to just question um, things but it wasn't until I was playing for the SDA Church on Sabbath and then the, the Baptist Church on Sunday mm. um, and that also coinciding with my own sort of coming out experience as LGBT person mm. that I started to really kind of really kind of like scrutinize um the doctrines and the beliefs that i was hearing um being preached and so um that led to an intense period um of uh questioning and education Mm -hmm. um and uh inquiry free inquiry i would say and um it really was just i mean the, the short story is i ended up not being a believer anymore and i'm i'm now a atheist I call myself an agnostic atheist mm-hmm. but um it didn't start out with that uh end point in mind it started out with me really uh being critical about what I was being taught what was being taught to other people on the effects of those teachings on uh, health and wellness mm-hmm. on our society on our historical perception of reality um current and, and past and just really a, an effort to be uh more radically um uh, honest and authentic mm-hmm. uh, within myself first and and then also just reacting to what I was seeing and being taught and, and sort of just experiencing mm-hmm. as a Christian.
0: Mm-hmm. Talking a little bit more about that journey, I actually recently just heard an, a very interesting interview with um, the president of Hebrew Union uh, College. Uh, which is a, a uh, part of the Reform Jew- Jewish mo- uh, movement mm-hmm. that is, uh, he was explaining how the Reform movement um, is not defined by a lack, right? A lack of belief, a lack of rituals, but actually he was, he was arguing that the Reform movement is, is defined by a commitment to reason. That is, that's the fundamental underpinning of, of the Reformed Jewish movement and what sets it a, a, apart from maybe Orthodox uh, Judaism. And I'm curious if for you, atheism or agnosticism is similarly defined in that way in your mind, that not necessarily, I mean, you're using non-believer, right, in the mm-hmm. title of the group, mm-hmm. but but if you, if you think about it in that way. Somewhat. Um, and I would
2: say that uh, we have... Uh, somewhat of a reformed tradition within Christianity, but it's very, very light up. They don't call themselves reformed, Mm -hmm. but, uh, we have the Unitarian Universalist church. We have a lot of, um, types, even in Catholicism, there are a lot of types of Catholicism that now have become more, um, sort of welcoming to, for example, LGBT, uh, members and congregants. Um, you have non-denominational churches who also take on a similar sort of open door policy. Uh, you have, um, uh, a certain kind of doctrine that has a sort of uh, universal uh, uh, sort of grace uh, doctrine, I guess behind. But in terms salvation. of
0: creating a community around atheists and and agnostics, yeah. so are so what I was going to say,
2: uh, I don't necessarily uh, consider it the same thing for the term atheism or agnosticism. Mm-hmm. However, uh, we do have what's called a secular humanist community. On mm. um, the secular humanist ethic and community really kind of encompasses what you're talking about mm. in terms of a commitment to reason. Mm. So, um, uh, and the atheist community is pretty much adjacent and, and pretty much right, we're like two halves of a, of a coin mm. with that. Um, there are some people who don't identify as secular humanists who may also be atheists. You Mm -hmm. can be an atheist and be a nihilist. You can be an atheist and be a fascist. You Mm -hmm. can be an atheist and be a racist. You Mm -hmm. can be uh, a number of, of things that might not be, you know, noble, you Mm know, or, um, or, uh, correct um in terms of uh equality and so forth but for the most of us especially for bndc and a lot of people we work with we would identify with the the reason that you're talking about that's similar to reform Mm -hmm. uh, judaism um just in the the secular humanist sort of language
0: so and so what are the types of activities then that uh black non-believers is 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 organizing around what are the types of um uh, support that you're you're giving to people
2: support's a good word uh, the f- first and foremost um, that's uh, what we first do primarily is to support provide mutual support to one another um, and to um, really just give people a place to to identify and to meet other people who I, who have been through a similar experience. Um, many of us are sort of um, deconverts. converts um, A lot of people don't have religion at all, and so they just want to have a, an opportunity to socialize and to connect with other people who, who just don't have another belief or, or a religious belief, and, you know, it's not a big deal for them, but it's nice to sort of, you know, get together and kind of talk about life experiences and maybe whatever's going on in their life. Um, but uh, a huge part of what we do is providing support to um, people who have had um, very long engagements with religious traditions and faiths, um often traumatic experiences um, in those faiths, um, in terms of just whatever the psychology of that that faith was uh, and the impact of that was on them, or just just, you know, the the family experience of going through their faith and not being a member anymore mm-hmm. um but we also uh we, we also have an a activist element um which partly just involves us just existing and just kind of just being who we are um but our other activist elements um really kind of are outside in terms facing outward to the community um we are involved in a number of uh events where we um where we talk with other people and just let people know in the community who we are and what we're about. Uh, we advocate for a number of different rights, human rights, women's rights, LGBT rights, um, equal rights from voting rights. Um, you know, we're part of those social justice sort of, um, movements, um, uh, and making, uh, intersections with all of those Mm -hmm. uh, movements. Um, and then, um, legislation, uh, we work a lot, as you mentioned with the, uh, the secular coalition of America, which I work with, with BN, and we work with the Washington secular humanist associate, uh, 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 humanist society. We work with, um, a lot of different, AHA American humanist association. A lot of those, um, adjacent groups that are our allies. We work with them in advocating for legislation, um, for, um, bringing to light, um, abuses of church and state separation. Mm. Um, and, uh, money that is being you sort of misappropriated or hidden from different organizations that are going to uh, that are trying to be used to discriminate against people who do not have the same faith or who are not evangelical or this or that so a big part of um, what we're doing is in the legislative arm Um, Mm -hmm. and then lastly volunteering Um, we still work with organizations locally to uh, volunteer and provide support. Um, One organization that comes to mind is Stand Up for Kids. Um, we don't do a whole lot with them, but we have an established relationship and we provide um, little snack bags and uh, sort of materials to help the kids that are in that organization who are often homeless, mm. um, transient, here in the D.C. area, um, and who just need some support. And so whatever little bit we can do to offer supplies for them, we offer those things um, and you know, try to help that way.
0: Great. Jordan, uh, turning to you, I'm, I'm curious if some of what um, Roger was speaking about earlier about this idea of being seen is something that came up at this recent summit that that was held in in DC about about the LDS Black Legacy. So tell us a little bit about that summit and and some of the themes that were explored there.
1: Absolutely, yeah. The uh, this was the third annual uh, Black LDS Legacy Conference, um, and it's held up near the uh, LDS Temple. Um, at the visitor center, sort of adjacent to the temple, um, and you know, it's a series of panel discussions, um, presentations, and it's all about exploring that intersection of race and our faith. And I sort of, I think of sort of as you mentioned at the top um, that there is a sordid history uh, of you know the church and, and race relations and things like that. And so I think. Um, I think in in all spaces right there's uh especially this month right there there's a space to celebrate black heritage black culture um but i think specifically you know for for uh the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints it's important to have those conversations and so um we talked about um, there were panels on Christ-like social justice, representation in sacred spaces, um, the power of knowing your own story, and that's about sort of family history and genealogy, um, which is a big part of the church, mm-hmm. um, but also sort of a, a very special issue for um, African Americans specifically uh, in this country. And then um, there was a, a great presentation about using or modeling the faith um, exemplified in in the scriptures, in, in Holy Scripture, um, and applying that to... Sort of a lot of the causes that that you were talking about, Roger, um, of you know wanting justice and equal justice for for all groups, and, mm-hmm. and sort of using faith to propel you in that in that effort. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and, and you had an interesting framing of some of your your discussion that you did with some of your opening remarks. You want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Oh, that's right. Yes, I uh, so I, I gave the opening remarks to the conference and. Um, the theme of this year's conference was honoring our di- our divine birthright. And so it was all about identity and and sort of fusing or pairing our celebration of our earthly heritage and culture with a reaffirmation of our divine heritage um, and, and seeing ourselves as children of deity and what that means and how we should treat one another. Mm. Um, and so I, I uh, sort of pulled a couple themes from Scripture about the power of identity and proclaiming, you know, I am a I am a child of God um, and what that means and and how I should treat others and how I should treat myself. Um, and then I was I sort of fused that a little bit with with uh, some clips from the movie Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a crowd favorite, you know? and <laughs> I'm, I'm really just going for
0: the the, the cheap thrill, the, the cheap cheap laughs. Uh, no, a powerful but, movie, very powerful with movie with this idea of identity. And and again, you know, I mean, it's being seen also. In that in that Marvel universe, right? That's a big thing. And- Absolutely, and sort of the
1: the power of in, in different aspects where they would ask, "Who are you?" And mm-hmm. you know, folks would respond, "I am so I am T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka, right? I am the Black Panther. I am this person or that person, and I um, have this power, mm-hmm. right? I I have this power to claim my own identity, who I am, and and um and so I I thought there were a lot of really powerful themes. but um, And I really like what you said about being seen, uh, because I think, especially being in a majority, at least in this country, a majority uh, white church, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of us have the experience of um, being looked at, uh, but not being seen, right? Mm. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. So I think sort of not, um, because the majority of the people that you're often going to worship with don't look like you, um, and maybe they themselves come from very racially homogenous societies, they, or communities, they, there's a a tendency to focus on the differences, right? And I I think that's somewhat common or, or natural. And so you always feel like people are looking at what you're doing, uh, you know, not not unlike the black experience in America generally. Mm. Um, people are looking at what you're doing, your hair, how you're dressing, how you're speaking, um, seeing if that matches up with the stereotypes that they've seen in media um, and asking why it doesn't. Mm. And um, so always feeling like maybe you're being looked at, mm. um, but not feeling seen, mm. not feeling mm. you're being seen for who you are, because um, sometimes folks just don't have the categories of experience or language to um, go beyond those external differences and and really engage with you on that more human. And even below that, I think for us, or beneath that, um, that more spiritual mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. And that's not everyone, obviously, but I think speaking in, in maybe generalities, that is that is an issue that um, we experience and that we explore and, and discuss uh, in this conference.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I was able to attend a little of it uh, myself, just got to <laughs> peek in for a little bit, um, and and really really saw a wonderful presentation on on um, iconography in the church. Um, folks might know that that a lot of the the representations in the LDS Church are of a particular one particular art style, and that art style is. Frankly, very Eurocentric in terms right. of in terms of its presentation, and and the artist was talking about um, uh, Melissa Boggs, right? Is Melissa right? Combo Boggs, Combo yes. Combo Boggs uh-huh. uh, was talking about her her um, experience, you know, the tension of growing up in that environment, and what is it like to 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 not not see yourself represented right in these divine figures, and and you know, challenging herself as an artist to create those images herself, to affirm that, right? Was that some of the, the, the things that were being discussed? Again, that, that sort of, how are we going to make, make this an affirmative process?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And, and so her her presentation was entitled, Representation in Sacred Spaces. Mm. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, the, um, the Eurocentric uh, sort of depictions of deity, of Jesus Christ, um, of Bible figures um, are, you know, they have... They're they're white, right? They have they have fair skin, and it's not necessarily um, historically accurate, and it's not necessarily um, culturally engaging, and especially you know honoring our divine birthright and recognizing because c- I think it's hard to reconcile the notion of sort of the foundational belief of the church is that we are all brothers and sisters, we are all literal spirits, sons and daughters of heavenly parents, mm. right? That they love us, that they created us, and that they have a plan for us to reach our divine potential. Um, but it's hard to see—it's uh, hard to see that and feel that and really engage with that when um, you know you you see depictions of deity and they don't look like you. So it's how 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 is that my parent mm-hmm. right or how is that someone that I, I should emulate or become it's it's sort of this notion of you can't be what you can't see, mm. um, and so that's you know that's that's an ongoing challenge and I think that's one of the reasons that we addressed it in the conference and and uh, Melissa did a fantastic job with that and her art is is beautiful and, and beautiful depictions of um, of you know, dark-skinned people um, who live up to those ideals of, the best ideals of Christianity, of love, hope, service, mercy, compassion.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Oshay, thinking about this idea, again, of community and and the special, the, the special quality that community brings, I think it's interesting in previous conversations talking to you about, you know, the challenges particularly that African Americans have around making the decision to leave a church, right? because of what a church, not necessarily just a church, it may be any religious community, but particularly, as you're saying before, sort of the deep tradition of the black church in in the US. What are some of what are some of those challenges that that you find um, that members are coming coming to your to your group with um, as they as they're trying to figure out that process or have been through that process of of leaving, such a such a huge community system
2: um uh, interpersonal relationships um is one of them and uh just in in to to make it in subgroups um interpersonal relationships uh familial relationships um not just a, it's not sometimes people think it's um we're talking about you know mother and father oh you know like mother you know or my mom or whatever you know doesn't want to uh hear son or daughter, you know, sort of, you know, affirm themselves as, as a non-believer. Um, and that's certainly the case. But um, beyond the sort of parent-child divide are uh, quite often, more more often are the relationships between siblings, cousins, and aunts and so forth. And those relationships for a lot of our members are really, really um, fraught, um, particularly as Not even so much as people are are affirming a non-belief, but just in questioning and being skeptical or expressing doubt or saying, you know, for example, you know, what is what is the point of, you know, prayer for for whatever the cause is um, or, you know, someone dies, for example, and there's a funeral and, you know, maybe someone's in their in the family uh wasn't a a real avid church goer or they had expressed uh doubt or a sense of antipathy towards their their faith during their lifetime and then now they pass and whoever's throwing the funeral or um planning the funeral is intent on sort of casting that person's life in this very holy sort of sacred kind of um you know lifestyle that this person who passed maybe didn't espouse you know um at some point in their life they just Stop believing or they stopped coming to church or they had expressed doubts of various uh, types um, and so how to navigate those spaces in families um, then we also have uh, in terms of community we're talking about um, work as well so you know professional relationships can be very dicey um, uh, people who are trying to advance in whatever their field is um, you know have issues uh, often with um, you know advancing um because of a, a very you know uh, permissive sort of um privileged culture that christianity can hold of whatever form but um but specifically christianity uh, enjoying a privilege in the workplace mm-hmm. to be spoken out um and uh sort of uh lauded openly and casually between co-workers and so forth and mm-hmm. so if you're not a believer or if you even if you have doubts and you're just you know you may be a christian but you're just skeptical and you don't believe certain certain things um if you don't um sort of uh you know uh, toe the line and if you don't sort of uh chum it up with your coworkers when they say this or that or when they have you know a certain uh maybe Christmas event, who knows? You know, these are types the types of things that can create divisions in the workplace that affect people's professional, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, advancement. Uh, And and then I would say uh, also we have um, marital relationships and child rearing. Those can become very uh, dicey as well in terms of um, not just people who are trying to figure out, um, you know, how do we raise the children, but often people who marry who marry, at the time that they marry are both Christians mm-hmm. um, or Muslim or whatever the other, you know, mm-hmm. sort of faith might be. Um, and who at some point in the course of the marriage um, start to uh, explore a different side of themselves and have a different faith journey that they embark on. And they come out on the other side, not believing in. How do you maintain a marriage? How do you continue um, you know with your marriage knowing that your spouse you know is no longer believing how do you disclose that to them how do you sort of you know figure out a way to recast or or reframe your marriage um and then you know children and kids going to grandmas or grandpas and their kids being taught certain things away from the home and coming back to the home and Mm -hmm. you know those are the types of things that um that affect uh our members in terms of community it's just the the various uh sort of ways interpersonal relationships can can be imposed upon um through you know real um imposition Mm -hmm. of 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 religious adherence
0: Mm -hmm. and so then black non-believers actually acts as you were saying before as a as a support group then yeah we
2: we we are um like i said we we have a couple of different arms but um i think the first uh Sort of landing page to use the internet type of metaphor um, is community support, mutual support, and
0: guidance. Mm-hmm. And Jordan, for you, I'm I'm curious if if likewise these type of programs in in those private conversations that you've had with with friends outside of a a full event like that do you, do you find that there um, that there is support within the the frame of the church? Uh, f- specifically for Black people who are trying to 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 find their way, navigate their way through those spaces.
1: But what do you mean within the frame of the church?
0: Well, I, I guess you know, LDS has has a has a, a strong institutional hierarchy. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And and so there there is there is the 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 body of the church, the people of the church, and then there are there is the the hierarchy of the church. So I wonder if if those things are happening simultaneously from your perspective.
1: Interesting. The, yeah, I I think that. Um, Most of that support, a lot of it comes from sort of more informal channels. Mm. Um, There are specific events and specific programs um, focused on diversity generally um, and tolerance and love and acceptance um, generally. But I think that a lot of that very focused um, and, and pointed conversation on Black LDS issues specifically comes from informal groups um, like the conference that that we had um, this past weekend that was organized by members of the church, not not necessarily church hierarchy. Now, church hierarchy is uh, very supportive of those things, mm. and they, you know, obviously we were using church space um, to to do those things, and 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 so I think um, a lot of it is the, the folks in the community, um, black folks in the church who know, um, that there is that need, they will, um, they will form those groups and they will su- form those support networks. And then, you know, when they want or when appropriate, they will ask for, um, church support. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that, in my experience, that has always been given. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think that's sort of how that the interplay works.
0: If you're just joining us, this has been Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and we've been talking this morning with Jordan Harvey, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and Roger, a leader with the group Black Nonbelievers DC. In the first half of our program, we heard about our guests' journeys and practices, and now, as we do every episode, in the second half of our program, it's time to turn the mics over to my dear guests to, ask, to have them ask some questions of their own. This is an opportunity for each of you to ask each other anything you'd like to follow up on about each other's spiritual journeys or life stories, anything you are familiar with coming in today about each other's traditions that you want to understand better, anything that you realize you may have misunderstood. On our show, we seek to model constructive and respectful dialogue in the spirit of learning, while at the same time not being afraid to roll up our sleeves and get into some interfaith-ish. So with that, I'll turn it over to Roger and Jordan for some questions.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, so I, I was jotting down a couple questions um, while you were speaking, and I, I think the work that you're doing is fantastic. It's phenomenal. It's it's needed. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I was going to ask, um, what do you think faith communities can do to better support groups and, like yours, groups and causes like yours and 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 the causes that you fight for? Um...
2: <laughs> I would say that's a good question. Um, I would say that a lot of times, the beginning of our beginning of our work is dispelling myths about um, what atheism or non-belief is, and or the beginning of uh, the discussion around what agnosticism is. Um those are two different sort of um questions. Both of them essentially imply non belief, but they don't answer um the question necessarily about whether or not we believe in a God. And so um so that's a key question. Um so just I guess uh to the extent that a religious community or um, faith leader wants to engage those discussions with people like us, that it'd be important to to first be familiar with the terminology yeah. um, and and then sort of uh, not trafficking in myth and rumors about who we are. Um, not saying that that's what you're doing. Oh, no, not at all. But just the idea of, for example, we spend a lot of time uh, in one-on-one uh discussions whenever they happen whether they be casual at an event or you know someplace out in public or or in private uh we spend a lot of time kind of just kind of cutting through the chaff of like you know are we devil worshipers you know do we um have no beliefs at all and so forth and so there are there's a lot of things that are you know sort of popularized myths about uh, what it means to not be a believer in a particular faith. Um, and also what it means to have lost a faith if you had one. Um, so oftentimes many people think that our, our, you know, transition out of whatever faith we have is because of uh, some hedonistic impulse, you know, or we, we just really want to sin and do all kinds of, you know, things of ill repute. And, and so, um, uh, You know, I don't expect that, you know, when I have a conversation with a faith leader that that, you know, they be converted or anything like that. That's not my goal. Um, But it would be nice to to just be able to start at a different point of conversation rather than having to address um, some really untrue and sometimes ugly stereotypes.
1: Absolutely. So education, learning and, and being able to engage on that level. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's helpful. Absolutely. Uh,
2: <laughs> I don't know if, if I have a terrible amount of questions, um, but I would like to generally um, just, I, I know you've talked to her and, and Jack has talked about uh, in the beginning about the, uh, the acceptance of black people in the Mormon faith uh, in 1978. I was born in 1978, so I have a special uh, place in my heart for <laughs> 1978. <laughs> um, but um, just how we reconcile... Um, that kind of change of doctrine as an effect or uh, a reflection of um, claimed revelation and and divine sort of uh, revelation?
1: That's an outstanding question. Um, So I think the first thing I would say is that... um that change was, rather than a change in doctrine, it was a change in policy or practice. Um, And some folks might view that as a distinction without a difference. Um, But I think if you go back to the very earliest years of the church, um, there were no race restrictions whatsoever. And it was um, later, so the church was founded in 1830. It was in 1852 that those restrictions were put in place. um, And it it wasn't that the church was... uh, actually segregated but it was that certain privileges within the church were segregated so it was that you know you could be a member but you could not hold a leadership position you couldn't things like that mm-hmm. and so i think in terms of um what you're talking about reconciling this belief that that we hold which i mean you stated perfectly uh so i'm i'm very impressed that's great a lot of, a lot of folks just have seen on tv right and uh, but but um yeah thank you for for knowing that. Um, we, we do claim um, that the church is led by God through revelation, um, and so how do we reconcile this notion of um, racist, frankly racist, restrictions being put in place and racist statements made and racist justifications uh, purported for these things? And that is the million-dollar question, right? That is um, at the heart of a lot of faith struggles of a lot of our members, um, black and white. And of all races. Um, and it causes a lot of consternation, and there are a lot of um theories and ideas uh propounded to justify that and or explain it at least. And of course, I'm you know, I'm, I'm a representative of, of myself, I don't represent um the church or necessarily um its views. Um, but I think for me, um I don't really have an explanation for it. I don't have a justification for it. It's um, it's one of these things where I believe that I've received spiritual guidance and a testimony, if you will, of certain things, um, that um, that God lives, that, um, you know, Jesus Christ is my Savior, um, that the Holy Bible, the Book of Mormon, that these are holy books of Scripture, and that God wants me in this church and doing this work, um, and that and and it sort of doesn't go too far beyond that. And so... Um, the fact that there are racist people uh, in the church, or especially historically there are racist people who were in leadership in the church and, and did those types of things, um, I, I can't control that, right? And, I, and I, I can't make what to me are eternal decisions based on questions. I can only make them based on answers, And I believe that I've received certain answers from God about where he wants me, what he wants me to do. And the things that I still have questions about, um, I feel like that's where the faith comes in, that at some point it's all going to be explained, it's all going to make sense in the end, Um, not to be too cliche. But um, it's basing um, my decision to stay in the church um, on the things that God has told me, the things that I do know, and not the things that I don't know. I want to sort of talk about um, what you were saying about that transition from a faith tradition and and what that looks like in your experience. What's what's the hardest part of that transition for folks?
2: Um, the hardest part uh, of that transition and coming out of it is um, the connection and the family, mm-hmm. um, whether that be church family um, or whether it be um, the actual family in which you come from. Uh, uh, the hardest part for many, many people is, um, what does that mean to disavow your faith? Um, does that mean that, um, you become ostracized from your family? Does it mean you become excommunicated from your church? Does it mean, um, that you can no longer see your family, whether it be your mother, whether it be your grandchildren? A lot of times we have people who are a little bit older in their lives and in their, um, you know, a little, um, up in age who um you know at the end of you know being around 50 60 years um are like wait a minute i don't believe this anymore i'm I'm still around i'm still alive and kicking but i've spent 50 or 60 years not believing or or believing something that now i've come to realize that it doesn't comport with with reality um and how do i um sort of continue in my family life um You know, for example, with my grandkids, you know, my grand, my, my daughter might be Christian. She might be baptizing the children, you know, where do we, you know, does that mean, you know, like just what to do, how to think about those relationships, um, that's, that can be incredibly hard, um, for our LGBT members, LGBTQ members, um, whom we have a lot of, um, a big intersection of of that conversation involves that identity too mm-hmm. um and so um present company included when when you're talking about leaving a faith depending on where you're coming from and how rigid your your family background is um those two things together can really um really create some real um tension in relationships that um that can really Cause a lot of consternation in, in our in our members.
0: As we're getting to the close of our program here, I, I want to look towards the future, um, and just get your thoughts before we go. So, I think Roger. Um, inevitably, as people feel more comfortable, you know, being exposed to new to new ideas, new traditions in our, our globalized world, inevitably there will be more black people that choose. To step away from the traditional church, right? At, yeah. the, at the same time, I think that the LDS Church is a global community and it is going to be increase, increasingly black and brown in terms of in terms of its membership. So I'm curious for for both you, Roger and Jordan, what do you see as being sort of the future of of your groups, your communities, the atheist, agnostic community, the the LDS community in terms of in terms of bringing in black members and affirming, Black people.
2: Um, thanks for the question. Uh, what what's in the future? Well, we we already know uh, through our statistics of religious uh, people in the country, Pew Research Forum, and a number of other indicators that that measure religiosity in uh, our population. We already know that the nuns are growing every year and every time they do another study it's an increased amount of people who identify as none now not all of those people necessarily identify as atheists or agnostics but there's certainly a, a bit of an exodus from the church um and currently with what we see in our political life and our governor government we see a lot of people who um are really justified in not taking those uh uh the sort of evangelical lines and and cliches uh uh seriously and so you know there's a lot of reason for people to say uh i've looked at this critically um i've seen its effect on my community i've seen its effect and impact on me emotionally as a human being as an adult as a you know whatever a black person an lgbt person a black lgbt person whatever the combination um as a woman you know i'm uh I'm not going to be a part of that anymore. And so I think what we see in the future is more of that. We see more people being critical and scrutinizing religion and religious claims and the uh, imposition of that in free society and government. Mm
0: -hmm. Jordan?
1: And I think for the future of um, the LDS church specifically, um, I think adding or growing uh, in terms of the population of black and brown members has a lot to do with um, our focus on our core values, our core principles, which is, like I was saying before, that we are all equal, that we are all children of God. Um, There's a a part of modern-day revelation or scripture, uh, as we would call it, um, that is a commandment from the Lord to be one, and if ye are not one, ye are not mine. And so we really take it as a divine injunction that if we are not united, um, that we are not following the Lord's will for us, that we are not doing um, and fulfilling our divine potential. And so I think a focus on that, a return to that, um, two years ago, actually, you mentioned 1978, two years ago, the church held a very large sort of celebration of the 40th anniversary of the removal of these restrictions of this policy. And it was sort of an acknowledgement of, you know, this happened, and we are, but we are celebrating the fact that we have moved forward from it and we are sort of focusing more on the divine mandate that we've been given and not on the, um, the weaknesses or um, the societal influences that affected our previous leaders. Um, and so I think in the future, it looks like um, a return to godly principles of inviting all to um, come unto Christ through love, through service, through compassion, um, and and taking that view of it.
0: Beautiful. Well, I think this has been a very illuminating conversation. I really appreciate both of you being here today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for. Thank you very much. Uh, quick before we go, quick URL where people might be able to find out more information about your your works and your projects.
2: Uh, BlackNonBelievers non- black dot com, and for those of you who are on Facebook, on you can find us on Black Nonbelievers of DC, which is a Facebook uh, page that we have, and we're there. Um, BlackNonBelievers dot com and uh, Facebook, also on Meetup. Um, and if nothing else, just Google BNDC or black non and you'll see uh, quite a few things that come up, pictures and all kinds of things, and you can get in touch with with me or our leadership in uh, Atlanta, which is based in Atlanta.
0: Terrific. Jordan, do you have, a, I think you've got some upcoming events and things that are, are having to do specifically on the LDS Black Legacy, right? Absolutely, yes. I think, so the, the general
1: sort of website for the church would be Mm -hmm. comeuntochrist.org. I think here specifically in the DMV area, um, we have this group called the First Sunday Fellowship, um, and we meet to talk about sort of a lot of those same things that the conference was talking about, a black LDS legacy and exploring that intersection of race and faith. And so our our event, our next event is going to be March 1st um, at the LDS chapel right next to Edison High School in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, it's going to be uh, from 4.30 to 6. It's going to be food and um, food faith fellowship and really exploring all of those things together in a yeah, uh, in a faith-filled environment. Wonderful. Thank you both so much. Thank you.
0: Dear listeners, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I want to again thank my guests, Jordan Harvey, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and Roger, a leader with the group Black Nonbelievers DC. As always, I want to give a shout-out to my fellow interfaith astronauts, Miranda Hovemeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, and our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. And thank you, dear listeners, for spending your hour with us. You can find our entire back catalog of Interfaith-ish episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you find quality podcasts. We're also on social media at Interfaith-ish. You can leave us a voicemail on our special listener line, 202-599-2953, with any comments about what you've learned through our programs. And you can keep writing us about the Interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. Interfaith-ish will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.